0: From The Advocate Magazine, this is lgbtq and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and today I'm talking to Wilson Cruz. You know Wilson from the new Star Trek, from 13 Reasons Why. He was also in My So-Called Life, where he played one of the very first gay leading characters on TV. We talk about how that transformed his life what it was like to be one of just a small handful of openly gay people in Hollywood, and the impact that that had on his career and also his life in general. So all of that is coming up. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe. Specifically, subscribing on iTunes and leaving a comment there is such a big help in terms of letting new people find our show, so a big thank you to everyone who's been doing that. And as always, don't forget to check out our old home at AfterBuzz TV. They're the number one place for all your TV after-show discussions. All right, without further ado, here's Wilson. The Public First got to know you over 20 years ago during My So-Called Life, the TV show. How has being an out gay actor changed? I ask because from the outside, it seems like there's been a lot of advances, but i wonder from your perspective on the inside.
1: Well, it's less lonely out here. I will say that. I think we'll start with the positive. You know, I look at the cast of The Boys in the Band, which opened last night in New York, and... I thought about it a lot last night. How all of them are openly gay. And they're all at the top of their field. They've earned the respect that that they get. But twenty-five years ago it would have been unheard of. When you look at that cast and a number of people, including Alec Mapa and Daryl Stevens and Peter Page and people like that, I think we set a standard. And I think because of that, it's made it easier for for younger people to come out
0: when you say it's less lonely when you came out 25 years ago with the show who were the other out gay actors <laughs> harvey firestein uh, my hero ian
1: mckellen um, and i think that's about it that's a wild if i if if i'm talking about people who were in the public eye um and 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 they were the people who i looked to for guidance so you know that was a high bar, <laughs> Harvey Firestein and Ian McKellen. No pressure.
0: Like you said, though, lonely. Like there's not a, a there was not a community. No,
1: I didn't know what I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't. I had no clue. I knew that. I knew that uh, playing Ricky Vasquez was going to come with some responsibility. I think anybody who had who was going to play that role um, needed to be out um, because he was the first, and because he was going to be asked about it. Um, and because young LGBT people were going to to look at him, and I and and they did, and I had to learn how um, to maneuver the industry, how to set expectations, how to um, for myself, and how to um, burst down some doors. And you know, at the time, I it wasn't really in my personality, but I grew. To accept the fact that I needed to demand the same amount of respect that any other actor is entitled to who was on a, on a series like my so-called life right so that meant uh, being considered for other roles when it was over, putting myself out there in terms of going after roles that I wouldn't necessarily be uh, considered for, convincing uh, writers and producers uh, and networks that uh, a, a certain role didn't have to a be
0: a a white person and be didn't necessarily have to be straight because you're a queer person in a straight world but you're also a brown person in the white world right it sounds like you were aware of all the pressure and responsibility that was on you well not only was i aware of it even if i wasn't aware of
1: it it became very clear i remember having a conversation with with management and my agents at the time and asking for their guidance, and they really couldn't give me any. They were like, we don't know. Like, if you want, to be on, if you want us to be honest, we don't know what the reaction is going to be, and we don't know if, if there are going to be a lot of opportunities for you. I mean, they were, it was pretty, pretty blatant. Wow. And I appreciated the honesty, and it forced me
0: to create my own opportunities, right? And on top of all that, you're also dealing with fame. I mean, I, or tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like nothing prepares you for that. No, I was... Nineteen twenty, when it was all over. And
1: I, I just kind of winged it. I really did. It was uncomfortable at times. And there were, you know, I I learned how to not answer questions I didn't want to answer. Although at first I answered all of them. But I have to say that the fame thing was the easiest thing because I'm trying not to get emotional here, but, um, this community held me up and, uh, to this day, you know, I am moved by the things that people say to me on the street. And it's not, and I know it's not about me. I know it's that I reflected something back to them about themselves um, or, or, or created some kind of feeling of hope, right? Um, so I know that it wasn't about me specifically. It would have been anybody who played that role. It was really about Winnie Holzman, let's be honest. Who's that? She created myself. Oh, okay. Life. But having people come up to me and sharing their stories and how that role and that show affected them really helped drive me f- through those years where very little was happening, you know,
0: creatively. And is that connection to the community why you have also chosen to take a couple of years off from acting to do activism? Oh, it was more than a couple of years. The first time
1: I left was 2000. I'm trying to remember, 2001 through 2003 to work on issues that were really important to me, that were part of this revolution that we're all living through. And I went and I was a field organizer for the national, at the time, which was called the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. Then I left again in 2012 to work at GLAAD as their, what was I? I was the director of entertainment partnerships. Um, And basically I was the liaison between the networks and the studios, and Glad, and really had some really meaningful conversations about diversity, about LGBT images on TV, about inclusiveness, about the fact that trans people were basically invisible in TV and film. Um, it's not much better now, but at least for, we were having the conversations. Um, we're starting to see the results of those conversations.
0: And I think that the conversation is changing slowly for people in and out of the community regarding trans people. Yeah. And I bring that up because you have played a trans character on TV before, and I feel like knowing you now, you probably wouldn't do that. Or would I, would you? I would not.
1: I would not. I've been approached a few times. Um, the role you're talking about is um, Stephanie uh, on Ally McBeal. Yes. Which, by the way, I'm really proud of. But <laughs> uh, there was a lot of work in that. You know, um, I had conversations with David Kelly about it at the time. And, you know, there were things that because I was a member of the LGBT community, um, I could look at that script and say, OK, here are the issues. Right. And I tried to make that script better as it went along and give her some dignity. Um, and, and to Mr. Kelly's credit, he listened to all of those things and, and really made what I thought were really great improvements. But I wouldn't do that today. It's just not my place. It's not my story to tell.
0: With the role on this, uh, my so-called life, and even uh, Angel on Rent and yeah. on Broadway, mm-hmm. these are really effeminate characters. Mm-hmm. Did playing these effeminate characters have an effect on how you experience your own masculinity?
1: Um, yeah, I think it helped me celebrate my natural feminine nature at times. You know, I think it helped me embrace all parts of my personality, right? And, um, you know, I was young. I think, uh, you know, we all want to get laid, right? (laughs) And at the time, I think the the way that culture really talks about masculinity and femininity, uh, as a man, you feel like you have to create a kind of uber-masculine aura (laughs) in order to be seen sometimes, and I think playing those parts really helped me appreciate what, what the feminine parts of my personality bring and, and really allowed me to, to embrace it. I make no excuses for it. I, I, uh, I, I think that I am masculine and feminine, given any need in the moment. You know, I think that's, I, I don't even think about it anymore. You know I, because I I, I I honestly think that it's a really beautiful part of who we are as gay men, gB men, you know that we can we don't have to um, follow those rules of masculinity that can be um, shackling, really, that can tamp down really beautiful and necessary parts of our personalities.
0: We don't have to follow them, and yet we are. It's ingrained in us for yeah. so long. I feel like it's a later in life realization that oh, these are rules that don't exist for you know for anybody, yeah, and that they're
1: fake rules, yeah, right? Like who made them up and why are we following them? And I think those questions, given our cultural moment, um, are being asked now by by not just gay and bisexual men. I think straight men are are realizing the kind of. You know are, are they're they're taking off the shackles as well very slowly, and i I think that's good and healthy
0: I think men right now are finally realizing that they have a gender ha ha you know yeah, and that not only they have a gender but it 's mutable, and there's no like confines within whatever gender you choose yeah it's also helped me as an actor, right like you know I think it
1: frees you from expectations and you know definitions of masculinity and femininity and. Um, it frees you
0: in so many ways, and as an artist, I think you mentioned sex. There is like a perceived femininity that is deemed unappealing. Is that what you were saying you were experiencing yeah. as a youth? Yeah, it's it's all part of this the misogyny
1: that we've allowed to creep into our culture. But that that's always been in our culture, really, right? You know, so God forbid we we be seen as feminine, and then you know there was also we were dealing with um, an epidemic that, in many ways, our response as a community, as gay men, um, gay and bisexual men, was to create an uber-healthy appearance so that no one would ever believe that, you know, that we were positive or not,
0: right? That oh, because like, not only is this being ingrained in us from culture, but from like our from the epidemic, right. we want to project that. Yeah, so we, you know, oh, you that's have, interesting. Anyway, I mean, it's a theory of mine, but what is it like looking at the younger generation and how they view AIDS?
1: It's a good question, and I'm probably a good question for them, but I, I think. Gratefully, they see it as a manageable disease, which it is, and... With access to medication. Right. You're right. If you, you know, in the first world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think that, you know, PrEP has been revolutionary in terms of sexuality and um, dating. <laughs> and I'm happy for them. At the same time, I think, you know... I think it's important for them to remember what happened, that we lived through a devastating epidemic, and that we lost um, the foundation of this movement, a generation that um, really could have excelled acceptance even further than we are now, but we lost them. I remember being, uh, I remember being uh, about. 30 years old, I think I was, in in San Francisco, um, and just walking down the Castro. And it occurred to me that every person who walked by me was either my age or 60. And it was really eye-opening to me. It was like, oh, right, the people, the men in between those ages are gone And so when we celebrate pride at times like this, I think part of that celebration has to be a remembrance of the people who aren't here to celebrate how far we've come. And in many ways, we can thank them for it in some weird way because it was the AIDS epidemic that forced us as a community to create um, the, the, the necessary resources in our community to, um, to fight for equality and for our lives. I hope that young people take the time during this pride season to take a moment and remember that there are some, so many of us.
0: How present was it on your mind when you were coming out?
1: It was ever present. Really? It was ever present. Um, I, I think, and for me and, and for my friends, I don't want to speak for the, an entire community, but you know what? It, 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 it seeped into everything, right? Like, who you dated, who you slept with, who you hung out with, what you looked like, how you had sex, um, if you had sex. You know, would you date someone who was HIV positive? Um, it, you know,
0: it was ever-present. And it was on the news every single day, you know? And probably the only time that newscasters mentioned gay people was, was the regarding o-
1: AIDS. Well, yeah, you looked at, you look at... Look at Oprah and Donahue. Like I was on an episode of Donahue where they actually dealt with LGBT teens. But for the most part, whenever they did talk about us as a community, they it was about it was in terms of HIV/AIDS. Subconsciously, I think, um, for me as a young person, as a teenager growing up, uh, in the middle of puberty, I had I connected my my sexuality with death. Right? So here I was um, acknowledging and realizing that I was a gay man. And part of that, in
0: my mind, was that I was putting myself in danger. And whether they vocalize it or not, I can't help but believe that one's parents also had that in the back of their mind when their kids come out, right? It was the
1: first thing that my mother said to me. Because we had lost my uncle when I was 16 to AIDS. Um, was he gay? He wasn't. He was a, an IV drug user, um, addict. Uh, but my mom is a smart woman, you know, she knew what the disease was. And so her f- biggest fear was that I was putting myself in danger. It was the very first thing that she said. I'm think- And I've heard this similar story from other people my age. It's like when I, you, you think about being a parent, right? And... My mom wasn't wasn't dumb, she probably, she knew that I was gay in the back of her mind. And, you know,
0: I'm sure one of her prayers was, I hope he's not because I don't want him to be in danger, right? You mentioned Donahue and these talk shows. Yeah, there was a period where gay people on these talk shows were only asked to talk about gay things, mm-hmm. and we've moved beyond that for gay and lesbians. I think that that is slowly beginning to happen now for trans people, where we can like move off their transness and talk about their life and careers. What a concept! Yeah, yeah, right. and I think that that's like such a signal of progress. But I wonder for you and your career, are you are you actor Wilson Cruz, or are you gay actor Wilson Cruz? It's a really good question. (laughs) Uh, I know who I am. I know
1: how I define myself, right? I am an actor. Um, I'm not a gay actor. Uh, I'm an actor who happens to be gay. That being said, uh, I am a gay man who happens to be an actor during revolutionary times. And so the question will always come up. And because of the roles that I've decided and chosen to play, it's a subject that comes up every time. Uh, I also, I, I worked in, in the, in, in advocacy. So I think reporters and outlets are like, oh, here's an opportunity to talk about these issues. So I get it. And, and I'm happy to do it. Right. Because I think we need to continue to, to talk about these issues. We haven't, we, we don't have full equality yet. We don't, we, we still have a fights to win.
0: So I'm happy to talk about it. Interviewing so many LGBTQ people, I hear theme songs people. And sometimes I can get on tangents and, um, well, they, they just fascinate me, like the different commonalities. And something that I've heard recently is public queer people like yourself being contacted by other queer people and saying, like, you are queer and you look so happy. How did you do that? and it and it breaks my heart but i i bring it up now cuz you you seem happy and you also seem like it comes from like a very genuine place. I am not, ha- it's not performative. <laughs> I am happy um
1: right now. But i have gone through my dark moments. You know, i i don't think it serves anybody well if we go around um acting as if every day is perfect and we're always happy. But um i think it's important to be happy, <laughs> you know. Um, I, 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 I. It's a concerted effort on my part, right? Like uh, I posted something yesterday, actually, about the fact that I was going through a really dark time a few years ago, and I made a conscious effort to wake up every morning and write down five things that I'm grateful for, and it literally changed my life. Um, it changed the way I saw myself, my circumstances, my immediate surroundings, um, and I think helped me open the door for more. Um, I think we have to be grateful for the advances that we've made. That doesn't mean we don't have work to do.
0: You still do that
1: every morning? Every morning. 20 minutes of morning meditation, and I take time to write down those five things. It helps me set up the way that I go about the rest of my day. And I have to also add, it forces me to create more things to be grateful for.
0: Oh, because you need something to list. Right. That's really funny.
1: Like, what am I going to write tomorrow that I was grateful about? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and
0: in many ways, it's focusing. So, I know that you grew up in a religious household. Is that spirituality for you? This gratitude? I, you know, we grew up... I wouldn't say we,
1: I grew up in a religious family, but I grew up uh, in a family that was clearly Catholic, right? Like, we went to church... Every, you know, two, two or three times a month. But clearly Catholicism was a part of our lives. And I rejected that pretty quickly <laughs> after I was out on my own because that really wasn't working for me. Yet I still believe in a, a force bigger than me and that there is a plan for me that is even bigger than I can imagine for myself. And I won't even pretend to define what that is. I know what it is for me and it helps me know, to know that.
0: The force bigger than you, do you call it
1: God? Do you have a name for yeah, it? Yeah, it's God. It's, it's God. It's love. I mean, I, I even love the, the, the fact that it's almost undefinable. I, I enjoy that. I, I don't need it to... I don't need some person to teach me what it is. I don't need a book to uh, help me guide, you know, to guide me through it. I think we as humans... Come into the world with a certain knowledge of of an energy that has created everything around us um, and that the mystery is part of is part of it is part of the is is part of the complexity of it
0: because were it definable, it would lose power sure
1: yeah I think there's I think there's something powerful in the mystery of it, of the not knowing. I I also, yeah, I mean, I I like positive energy. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm doing, I think about it a lot, especially when I work on Star Trek, I think about it. You know, there's no religion in in Star Trek, right? Gene Roddenberry was like, you know, there's, we're, we're free of that in many ways. I imagine that if I was working on a spaceship and seeing all of the wondrous things around me, that I would question, I would have questions about our existence and what all of this means and what it is for. And I, it's hard, you know, it's that fine line between science and religion, uh, between faith and, and science.
0: Th- that's fascinating because astronauts and people who have been in space report back yeah. with this feeling. And I think that's amazing that you have also tapped into that as an actor.
1: I, y- yes. I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know how anybody, even if it is, Two or three hundred years from now can fly by a planet and go "Wow and be in in awe and in wonder of the magnitude of the universe and how and and what does that do to your psyche right yeah and what we all what role we all play in it and it helps you
0: put everything in, kind of in perspective coming back to this planet yeah sorry <laughs> got no don't apologize. <laughs> Like, specifically right now, everyone is talking about where do you find hope and where do you see hope. But my question is actually, like, do you feel hopeful? I do.
1: I do. Um, I feel hopeful because, A, everything is temporary, right? And the only thing that's real is this moment right now. What we have in this moment right now, if you're talking about Po- Are you talking about yeah. politically and culturally here? What we what we have, what's real, is the way that all of these marginalized communities have come together to resist the insane leadership, quote-unquote, that we have. <laughs> and so if there's a silver lining that I've been able to identify in all of this, it's that I have learned to be a better ally, and I think other communities, people in other communities outside of the LGBT community have also learned how to be better allies. So I think about, you know, when, when Planned Parenthood was under attack, me and other LGBTQ people stepped up. When um, trans people were under, under attack because of a ban in the military, I saw reciprocation. When people had to rush to the airport, so many of those lawyers that rushed to the airport were LGBTQ people. I think that for me, is the lesson here that when we come together and we work together, um, we can affect change and we can stop terrible things from happening to each other. So what's going to happen? Hopefully that we will remain that way, even if we get Kamala Harris (laughs) as president. Hint, hint. Uh, (laughs) so, So that gives me hope. The Parkland students give me hope. Those are literally the kids that my generation has raised
0: in glad stat about how this new generation of youth are 20 percent identifies lgbtq yeah that's a massive number yeah see what happens when you when you bring when you shed light on something and and those youth are watching tv movies and they're seeing queer representation yeah. when you were growing up i mean there was there's none because you you were the first gay teen lead on tv right yeah I like to ask, like, where did you see yourself in pop culture? Like, you didn't see yourself till you were on TV, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I didn't. I, I I knew I wanted
1: to be an actor, and I knew that I wanted to do TV. But, you know, in a lot of ways, that was a dream so out of reach that it was just that.
0: It was a dream. Were, were your goals and dreams for your career tempered being a queer person in this yes. straight industry? I thought,
1: you know, honestly, before... I mean, I, I was going out on auditions and I was hoping to like break in and I had, I did some work, some little work here and there, but I, I honestly thought I was going to be a high school English teacher who taught drama and worked in theater, you know, every now and then. I was in school. I was getting my, I, was, I had a double major in theater and English. I knew I, that was the plan. I don't, I don't know what would have happened. I would have put my, I would have continued to put myself out there and. And chase the dream, sure, but I don't know how real it was to me until it happened,
0: because you did not see an example of quote unquote success. Well, I was I was a
1: I was a gay Latino boy who you know I wasn't I don't have leading man looks you know I was I'm slightly effeminate like nothing nothing about me except you know what I believed. I had, which was talent, uh, would tell me that this life that I'm living was a possibility.
0: That role you played means so much to people. What has it been like to date when people have such a strong connection to your work?
1: (laughs) I don't know. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think, you know, I, I, I date just like everybody else with a hope and a prayer. Um, you don't
0: know how to, but, but don't, do most people know who you are when you like first date them?
1: Um, yes. And if they don't, then pretty quickly, you know, they're like, oh, right. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, yeah. So yeah. The answer is yes. But I think they, I think people get over that really quickly.
0: Oh, I, really? Yeah, I do. I do. Oh, I guess if they didn't also, you probably wouldn't give a second date. Yes. <laughs> that's a true story.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, it's not everything about me, but it is an important part of me, right? It it helped form me. It helped, um, make me who I am today. So
0: I just think that you've been, it's just
1: like, it's just like any, you know, I, I think, I think I look at it as, you know, everybody has a job or something that they're passionate about, hopefully. Um, and I talk about it in terms of that when I date, right? Like this is what I do. It's my job
0: that I love. Does how you think about sex now in your forties how is that different than you did in your twenties and thirties? Yes. How so? <laughs> um,
1: well, I'm a much more confident person than I am now than than I was than I was then. I should say I'm much more confident now than I was then. Um, I think something happens, you know, when you're in your forties, for me anyway that I feel more comfortable in my skin and more willing to let someone see me. Um, I'm not trying to be something better than I am. I am standing in this body and I'm good with it. And that's different than when I was in my 20s. I also know what I want now. I think there was you know when I was in my twenties, I was figuring it out what do I like, what I don't like, you know what I mean, and I have a better idea of that of what that is now, and, uh, but i'm still
0: i'm s I'm still willing to be surprised, which is nice. <laughs> Those all sound like very like normal faces mm-hmm. I just think about like dating and like there's like power dynamics that just like exist. And I can't process what that would be like to have like one of those people would be like famous, you know, and having like grown up like watching their work per se, or now people such a strong connection to star Trek. Yeah. I can't imagine that too. Yeah. But you know, I am attracted to men who
1: have their own shit going on, right? Like who are coming to the table with their own um, dreams and accomplishments and you know, I find that sexy. I find um, a man's ambition sexy. I find, you know, their um, awareness of their place in the world and their responsibility. I find that extremely sexy. So, you know, I'm not going to date someone who's not confident about who they are and, and, and what they do and
0: what they're giving. That's funny coming from you when you said you weren't always confident. It's like you want it, but like yeah. now you're also projecting it, yeah. too. No, it's true. It, speaking of sex, we're in this Me Too moment now, yeah. and a, a lot of big, well-known people are falling. Mm-hmm. And apart from Kevin Spacey, the gay community has been relatively untouched. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a bad use of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, the gay community has not been a part of the Me Too movement, except for Kevin Spacey, more or less. Does that surprise you? I
1: wish I could say that it didn't. (laughs) Uh, It does surprise me. I've experienced, not in any way in the same degree that, let's say, someone like Anthony Rapp has experienced it, but I have seen um, powerful men attempt to use and wield that power in unacceptable and disgusting ways. Tomorrow's another day. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's not going to happen, that it's not going to come out. Yeah. But I don't, I, you know, I've heard stories,
0: right? I think we all have, probably. I, I also, what I haven't heard, is, and I don't mean this in a disgusting way, but what we haven't heard is from people who were like, yeah, I slept with him and like, look at my career now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I was,
1: I've, I've been told, or not told, I have been, what's the word? Um, You know, it was alluded to, to me a number of times by different powerful men that they could help my career in certain ways. And I, being the naive, you know, young person that I was at the time, thought, oh, you know, whatever, I guess this is the way it works. And you know, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Thank you very much. And I kept it moving, but um, I look back on it now and I think, huh. You
0: know, that was uncomfortable. See, I trust nobody. So for me, I'd be like, Oh, really? Thank you. I need a contract. I need to spell this out. Like, right. I need to retweet. <laughs> and then, sure, let's do it. And I, you know, my my
1: people or the the person who did who did that it, they're not even around anymore. So it's not even. Worth naming names at this point, and I feel kind of like well did i did I misconstrue that? Did I put too much did i did I define that 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 experience wrong, and the person's not around to confront
0: about it so um, i need, i've let it go so I also wonder if when it happens to when it's happened to me before i I didn't feel like my safety was threatened. Right. You know, so I wonder if it like, had a less of an impact on me. Right. And then it happens less infrequently. Yeah. So I, I, forget, never... I forget about it actually until someone reminds me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was really messed up. Right.
1: Um, I've, I've never been, I, I was never in any danger physically. I, you know, I wasn't, in, I don't want anybody to walk away from this feeling that. I, 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 ugh. men have said inappropriate things to me that's what I'm getting at, you know,
0: and, um, or brushed up against me in the wrong way. If you know what I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> I also think that inappropriate things being said is like a fixture of gay bars. Sometimes it is. So it's, it's a hard like line. It's a hard thing to just talk about.
1: Right. Yeah. But you know, if I had experienced anything in, in the way that, um, Anthony or Trace said, or, yeah. Um, you know, any of these victims of this abuse had experienced, I too would have come out about it. It's just, I don't think my experiences have, are anywhere near that.
0: Yeah. We're almost out of time, but what is, what is like next for you? What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to going up to Toronto and starting season two
1: of Star Trek. You know, I think I'm really focused on, on the work right in front of me right now. Um, that's how, how I kind of get right before I start work and I start work in a few weeks. So I'm in that world right now. (laughs) That's where my head is.
0: Um, you said that you, when you were in your twenties, you had to make your own opportunities happen. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're still doing that. Didn't you like send like emails and like phone calls to Star Trek? We did. Um,
1: I think it's important when you look, I was, have always been a big Star Trek fan, right? And um, when I saw that it was going to happen, that they were doing a, a new series, I was like, okay, who do I know? Because I'm not exactly the first person you would think of. Uh, so I had to make myself, I had to make that known. Um, and I happened to know who Brian Fuller was. Is because I worked with him and I knew who Gretchen and Aaron were because they wrote the episode that I did of Pushing Daisies for Brian Fuller. So um, I think that was that was a, a an opportunity
0: to grab the brass ring. I think it's very inspiring too to see that you're still like working for each opportunity. Yes, I I think we have to. You know, there's a lot of content
1: out there. Um, too and, much, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so you know. I think I don't like I said, I don't think I was I would have been the first person people would have thought of. So I gave them a reason to think of me. But I've done that throughout my career. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like Star Trek wasn't the first time I reached out to a creative to a creative person on a project and nudged them. I just think that's how you have to, to work in this industry, right? You have to be your best advocate. You have to be, you know, yes, you have agents and managers who, who are out there for you, but you should be working with them. That's just, it's, that's my, the way that I work, you know? And I, and I hope, I hope that I'm not pushy in any way. I just, I like to make my presence known. Yeah. Like you have to know that, you have to be confident in your ability, right? And I, and, and I am. Good.
0: Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I hope you got what you Absolutely. wanted. <laughs> and that's our show. If you enjoyed the interview, please tell your friends. Text your group chats, tweet about us, help us spread the word. It is one of the biggest ways to help new people find our show. Thank you for that. We are now broadcasting from The Advocate magazine studios in Los Angeles. The Advocate is the longest-running LGBT news magazine in the country. It was founded in 1967, that's two years before Stonewall, and we are very excited to now partner with them. You can also check out their other podcast, The Advocates, as well as Pride.com's podcast, Work. That's W-E-R-Q. Special thanks to our other partners at Panoply, our old home, Afterbuzz TV, the Elon University in Los Angeles studio, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.